Thank you for tuning into this sermon from New Life Student Ministries. Our goal is to inspire, equip, and support our students and families with biblically rich and God-centered teaching. These messages are meant to be supplemental and not substitutional for our weekly gathering. We hope this sermon is a blessing to you and your spiritual walk. All right, hey, if you got your Bible, I want you to turn to Acts 15. If you got your Bible, turn to Acts 15. It's in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Thank you, thank you. Let me, let me set the context before we get going, okay? Let me set the context. Um, since August, we have been in a series in the book of Acts, and this takes place after Jesus has come, fully God, fully man. He lives a perfect and sinless life. He dies on a cross, he's raised to life three days later. Someone say amen. amen. And then he, he comes back, he's visiting his disciples, and before he ascends into heaven, he gives them one command to go and make disciples of all, baptizing them in the name of the... And he says, surely I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. And so he ascends into heaven, and then the disciples are, are waiting on the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God comes on them in Acts 2. It's the day of Pentecost. And, and then they're proclaiming the gospel. We see thousands added to the church, and we see the church expanding. We see the early church begin to see healings and salvations. And then the persecution begins. And uh, two weeks ago, Miss Catherine talked about the stoning of Stephen in Acts 6 and 7 where Stephen is the first what we call martyr, someone who is killed for their faith. And as a result of Stephen's martyring, the church is scattered, but it's not out of fear or division, but actually God is sovereignly acting out his plan to send the gospel forth in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Everything is working according to God's plan. But one of the chief people that was persecuting the Christians, does anyone know his name? Saul, that's right, you, you know it, you know it. So Saul, we talked about this last week of Jesus intervening in Saul's life where Saul is on the road to Damascus and Jesus comes in a bright light. He blinds Saul, but ultimately he opens his eyes to see that Jesus is Lord and Savior. So Saul surrenders his life. He gives his life for the sake of the gospel, begins to proclaim the gospel. So this is where we left off last week. And now since that point where we pick up in Acts 15, the gospel is continually going forth, but... What started as Jewish people becoming what they call Christians or the way, now the borderlines are starting to open up to people who aren't Jews. Does anyone know what that people group is called? Not Jews, but Gentiles, that's right. So now the gospel is being preached to the Gentiles and this is where we pick up in Acts 15. It's gonna be on the screen for you as well. Acts 15, one. Certain people came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers. Unless you are circumcised, if you don't know what circumcision is, you can email me at tshepherd at newlifechurch.org. I'll answer any questions you have about circumcision. Anyway, so these people, they're called the Judaizers. They're saying, unless you are circumcised, according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed along with some other believers to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. So the church sent them on their way and as they traveled through Phoenicia and Samaria, they told how the Gentiles had been converted. This news made all the believers very glad. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and elders to whom they reported everything God had done through them. Then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. 
Is anyone like just dying to know where we're heading with this? Is anyone like, where are we going? Okay, cool. <laughs> the apostles and elders met to consider this question. After much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. We're gonna camp out at these next few verses right here. So if you wanna highlight them, underline, be ready. Brothers, you know that some time ago, God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit. Everyone say the Holy Spirit to them, just as he did to us. He did not discriminate between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. Everyone say by faith. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? No, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord and all God's people said, thanks be to God. Let's pray. (laughs) Jesus, we love you. We love you. That's why we're here, because we love you. We didn't come for a speaker. We didn't come for a worship leader. We didn't come for the feeling. Jesus, we came here for you, to be in your presence, to be with your people, and to hear the word of the Lord. So even right now, Spirit of God, we invite you to speak tonight. May the words that that come from me fall to the ground. But may the words that you have designed to pierce our hearts, to inspire us, to call us out and forward. Lord, I pray that those words would ignite something tonight. God, I ask that this would not be just another message, but I ask that you would awaken us. May your word awaken us, revive us. God, we open ourselves up right now. Even even now, I just invite you, open up your heart before the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, whatever you want to do tonight, we welcome it. No matter what it looks like, no matter how hard it is to hear, how difficult it is to accept, we say, come Holy Spirit, have your way. In Jesus' name. Everyone said? Now we say amen. Here's a question for you. How do you know when you're saved? How do you know when you're saved? It's a deep question. I'm sure some of us have already asked that question. Like, how do I know when I'm saved? Like, is it when I pray the prayer? Is it like when I start going to church? Like, is it when I start like understanding the Bible? Like, is it when I start giving my money? Like, how do I know when I'm saved? This is a really important question to tackle. And we actually see this is the question that's being asked in Acts 15. What we see here is that we have the Gentiles who are hearing about the gospel and they're responding to it. They wanna follow Jesus. They're ready to give their lives to him. But we have what we call the Judaizers, the people who are saying, well, no, no, no. In order to be a Christ follower, in order to like join in as the people of God, you have to be circumcised. You have to follow the law. You have to observe all these days and all these rituals. All of a sudden, these Judaizers are trying to pile on all of these things for the Gentiles to follow. And the Christians are over here saying, no, 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 wait a second. We thought it was by faith that we were saved. We thought it was by what Jesus did on the cross that we are saved. And so we see actually the first like debate, internal struggle of the church over this central question. How do we know when we're saved? 
What's the mark of that? Now, we kind of see two different kind of ideas of the answer to that question of how we know when we're saved. The Judaizers are over here. They're introducing a concept that I'm going to call tonight the Jesus plus gospel. Everyone say the Jesus plus gospel. Let's throw out the definition on the screen. Jesus plus gospel equals Jesus plus anything else as the answer and assurance of salvation. Now, we're probably not super used to like Jewish laws and customs, the whole circumcision thing's like not really a thing, but we actually see the Jesus plus gospel in America all the time. Let me give you guys a few examples of a Jesus plus gospel you may or may not have heard throughout your life. What if it was Jesus plus performance? As in, in order to be saved and, and purified, in order to know that you are part of the people of God, you have to believe in Jesus, but you also have to perform really well. As in, you gotta make the right decisions, don't sin, do all of the right things. Jesus plus performance. Maybe this one, maybe you've heard this one on Facebook, Instagram, any other social media on the news. How about Jesus plus politics? Ooh, I like, like, like Jesus plus being Republican or Jesus plus being democratic. Maybe we, maybe we add the Jesus plus gospel to our ethical views. Jesus plus your view of the vaccine. And if you have a different opinion of me about the vaccine, then you're not a Christ follower. How could you be a Christ follower and have that view? Is anyone maybe relating to what I'm talking about so far, the Jesus plus gospel? Okay, okay. How about Jesus plus theology? Jesus plus theology. Uh, it's Jesus plus Calvinism or Jesus plus Arminianism. Is Mateo in here? Where's Mateo? <laughs> Is Mateo? Oh, he's not in here. Oh, that's rough. Okay. Uh, and if you guys don't know what those terms are, that's okay. You're fine. Just love Jesus a lot and I think you'll be okay. Um, and then Jesus plus ethics, right? Jesus plus, okay, what's your view of like, should Christians like drink alcohol? Or, you know, should Christians listen to like secular music? Like, but we add Jesus plus to a whole lot of stuff. And this is what we're seeing take place in Acts 15. Now, there are a couple of issues with the Jesus plus gospel that I just firmly believe we need to think about <laughs> and wrestle through. So if you're taking notes, this would be a great message to take notes on. I'm not like as long-winded, I'm more of like a bullet point guy. So there's gonna be a lot of like one, two, threes and little points. So um, if you got your notes, take, take some notes here. Here are some issues of a Jesus plus gospel. Here's the first one for you. A Jesus plus gospel is not a gospel at all. <laughs> um, and I'm gonna show you this in Acts 15, seven through 11. Can we pull up Acts 15, seven through 11 up on the screen? All right, so after much discussion, Peter got up. This is how Peter settles the matter here. He says, brothers, you know that some time ago, God made a choice among you that the Gentiles, ooh, this is not quite right. Do we have any more slides that have a different, uh, there, oh, there it is, there it is. Okay, after much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, you know that some time ago, God, everyone say God. God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them. Everyone say the Holy Spirit. Just as he did to us. He did not discriminate between us and them for he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? No, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus. Everyone say Jesus, that we are saved just as they are. There's kind of three main people that are mentioned in Peter's answer. Father, Son, 
and Holy Spirit. And this is why this is important because a gospel that is biblical is actually pointing to three main people. And I got news for you. None of the three are you. (laughs) None of the three are me. When I think about the gospel and salvation, it's the father initiating salvation. It's the son confirming salvation. And it's the Holy Spirit sustaining salvation. Notice how any other gospel that we try to throw in there, Jesus plus ourselves and our performance, Jesus plus politics, Jesus plus anything of our personal views, any of those things take Jesus out of the center of our gospel and it puts our personal views right there in the middle of it. That's why a Jesus plus gospel isn't a gospel at all. At the end of the day, brothers and sisters, I hope you know that we can't purify ourselves. We can't save ourselves. This is why there is a savior. That's why there is a cross because at the end of the day, it is the father initiating salvation, the son confirming salvation and the Holy Spirit sustaining salvation. Amen? Amen. Oh, you guys are getting quiet. All right, all right. Second reason, second issue with a Jesus plus gospel. Second, a Jesus plus gospel is an exclusive gospel. It's an exclusive gospel. Here's what I mean by that. Let's pull up Acts 15 again. Could you guys hear me swallow? (laughs) I'm always like nervous to drink on a mic because you'll just hear like... All right, after much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, you know that some time ago, God made a choice among you that the, everyone say it, the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God who knows the heart showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them. Who's them? Oh, come on, you guys are asleep. Who's them? All right, there it is. Just as he did to us. Everyone read this part out loud. He did not discriminate between us And then, for he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of? A yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear. No, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that we are saved just as they are. Here's a question for us to chew on a little bit with an exclusive gospel. Does the gospel I believe and live only allow me to be around those who believe and behave exactly like me? Does the gospel I believe and live allow me to be around those who believe and behave exactly as I do? (laughs) This is a hard one for us once again because this kind of gospel forces us to put our personal views and our personal opinions aside and see the cross as the supreme value in someone. And to be clear, I'm talking about Christ followers here. I'm not saying, you know, a Mormon comes and it's like, oh yeah, we're all like the same thing here. No, I'm talking about like other Christ followers who have different backgrounds, different behaviors, and different even beliefs than you. At the end of the day, we all need to rally around the main things. The main things are like Father, Son, and Spirit, like the Trinity. We're talking about like Jesus being fully God, fully man. We're talking about Jesus dying on the cross, raised to life again. You guys tracking with me the primary issues of our faith. But here's the problem, a Jesus plus gospel begins to get exclusive, as in, I'm only gonna associate myself around the people who think just like me. And this is where you begin to see churches that are maybe just one skin color, 
Or maybe this is where you begin to see churches and youth groups that really all just have one main political view. And if you believe anything different about anything else, uh, all of a sudden you're outside. We see this exact thing take place in Acts 15 where we have the Jews who grew up with one thing their entire lives of the law, and it was beautiful. Like it was based off the Old Testament, it was beautiful. But then when Christ comes and he, and he fulfills the law, and now he's inviting a new people into a new way of living, all of a sudden those who thought they were on the inside all of a sudden have a problem letting people in. They would rather be exclusive and keep people out. But that's not what we see with Jesus right? We think about the ministry of Jesus. Who are the people that Jesus rips into the most? The Pharisees, right? The religious people, the ones who thought they were on the inside. Actually, Jesus is the one who rips into them the most. And would you notice that Jesus actually begins, we talk about this a lot in the summer, how Jesus pulls this great reversal all the time where he hangs out and he associates with people who are at the lowest level. He even, he even gets so bold as to invite people like tax collectors to follow him. Not just like he said hi to them and was nice to people. Like he invited a tax collector, like the worst of the worst. Or he goes to a Roman centurion's house and, and heals his servant. The Romans as in like the enemies, the ones who were like politically dominating his people. Like that's a problem. And that's not something we see around here. I don't know about you, but what I've seen in the last year and a half is every reason to be divided. Chick-fil-A or Slim Chickens, divided. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? But on a serious note, like I'm, I'm being serious like, with our political views, our ethical views, even our theological views, all of those things. Make no mistake, guys, I want you to hear me clearly. That is so important. Our view of the gospel has to go into all of these views. I'm not saying those don't matter, but I am also saying that they are not equal in value to the cross. Can you guys say amen to that? Actually, I'm not even gonna ask you to say, that's hard to wrestle with. And that's why like Facebook is a freaking war zone. <laughs> and that's why the news is coming out. And that's why we see a divided church is because this is hard to grasp. An exclusive gospel as in linking arms and singing to and about Jesus around people who believe differently than you, talking to people who see the world from a different lens than you do. That is hard. That is hard. But it's what the gospel invites us to do. A Jesus plus gospel it's not a gospel at all. It's an exclusive gospel. And thirdly, this one should be pretty simple. A Jesus plus gospel is unbiblical. <laughs> pretty simple. I'm just gonna hit you with a couple verses real quick just to really finish off this point. I think about John 3, 16. We can pull this one up. We, a lot of us probably know this verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever in him shall not perish but have eternal life. It doesn't say whoever believes in Donald Trump shall not perish but have eternal life. It doesn't say whoever believes in Joe Biden or believes in the vaccine or doesn't believe in the vaccine, who believes in Jesus will not perish but have everlasting life. Let's go to the next one, John 5, 24. These are Jesus's words. He says, very truly I tell you, whoever hears my word and not performs, not does all of the law and, and is a perfect person, no, whoever hears my word and who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. Let's go to the next one. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, the life. He doesn't say I am a way, a truth, a life. He's saying I am the way, the truth, the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. So those are just three times that Jesus confirms that a Jesus plus gospel isn't biblical. Let's go to Paul. Paul talks about this a lot. Let's go to Galatians. Galatians 2.16. Paul says, I know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by 
in Jesus Christ. So we too have put in Christ Jesus that, way, that we may be justified. I'll say it louder, by in Christ and not by the works of the law because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. Are you guys convinced yet? We can go to Ephesians 2. We can go to Ephesians 2, 8 through 9, 4. It is by grace you have been saved through, through, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Brothers and sisters, what I'm saying is that a Jesus plus gospel implies this, that you and I are responsible for purifying ourselves until Jesus returns one day. But the Jesus period gospel says this, that it is the Holy Spirit who sustains us. You guys see the difference there? Okay, good, the slide is there. A Jesus plus gospel means I purify myself by my performance and my personal views. And not only that, but I begin to hold other people. I have to become everyone else's purifier. I become everyone else's moral police because I live a Jesus plus gospel. But for those who will live out, believe and live in a Jesus period gospel, they say, you know what? I'm not responsible for purifying myself. It is the Holy Spirit who purifies me. Can I get an amen? All right. Our God statement today is the Holy Spirit purifies. I wanna talk about two fast ways before we finish up tonight. The implications of a Jesus period gospel. This is what a people look like who are going to say, you know what? I'm going to believe and live out a Jesus period gospel. Two really simple things. One, the Holy Spirit purifies our life. Those who believe in a Jesus period gospel will say the Holy Spirit is the one who purifies my life. Now I wanna define what I mean by pure. A lot of us probably hear the word purity and we probably think sexual purity, you know, courtship, dating, engagement, marriage, like whatever the terms are these days. We like instantly go to that, but actually the biblical view and idea of purity is actually a whole lot different than what we would think. Being pure actually means being singular, being undivided, being wholehearted in something. I'm pure in my marriage when Preem is, is the only one I'm giving my love to in that way. When she is the only one, I'm, I'm pouring all of myself into her. Not anyone else, it's not like, okay, it's like Preem and a few other, no, no, it's like, it's like Preem and only Preem. That's what a pure marriage looks like. It's, it's wholehearted, it's singular. Let me give you guys a quick example. I, I, need, I need a volunteer real quick. You're not gonna have to do anything weird. Come on, Drew, come on, Drew. All right, Drew, this is what, this is what it's gonna look like. Let's, uh, let's say this is the throne of your heart. What sits in this seat has your treasure, it has your worship, it has your attention, it's got your time, it's got your thoughts, you talk about it, you dream about it, you, 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 like your whole life is oriented about, around what sits in this chair. Now, what it typically looks like for us is we go to something like Desperation Conference, we get into these powerful worship moments and we say, God, I want you to be treasure in my life. Drew's gonna be our, our God for a second, okay? God, Drew's God, it's not heresy. Yeah, you can sit down, brother, you can sit down. This is what a pure life looks like. It is God sitting where he belongs on the throne of our hearts as supreme treasure in our lives. However, as you all know, it's not this simple in life, is it? It's not this easy to keep this in our hearts. What begins to happen is that the cares of this world begin to compete. They begin wanting this throne of your heart and all of a sudden, 
Instead of wanting to spend time with Jesus, you kind of just want to keep texting your boyfriend or girlfriend. You want to spend more time on Instagram. You all of a sudden, man, you look up, man, I haven't spent time with Jesus in like months. And before you know it, there is a different God on the throne of your heart right? We see this all the time. We see this in sports. You can sit back down, Drew. And then we repent. We're like, no, God, you can be on the throne of my heart. Like, I I want to live for you. I worship you and you alone. But then sometimes we try to do something like this. Drew, this is going to be awkward for a second, but we're going to make it work, okay? Uh, We try, God, you can can be on the throne. Don't you dare resist me, God. (laughs) Just kidding. And we try to do something like this. And we're like, no, this is pure. Like, I, I come to church on, you know, Wednesdays. You know, I, I serve at junior high on Sundays. And, and you know what? I'm really spiritual. I even go to Friday night service and hear Daniel Grothy bring a fire word. And I take notes too. You know what I'm saying? And it's like, but on Tuesday, <laughs> when I'm on my, with my sports team, they start making those jokes. Or when I get in that conversation with those girls and the gossip starts to, to boil up, all of a sudden... There is division here. This is not a pure life. This is divided. This isn't singular. But to be honest, I think a lot of us in this room probably have hearts that look like this and probably have worship that looks like this. This isn't purity. But I'm not saying that to shame you. I actually want you guys to hear me say something really clear. And I want you all to look at me for this. God loves you too much. And God is too good and God is too holy and God is too worthy to share the throne of your heart. God is too holy and he is too good and he loves you too much and he gave too much to have half of you. To go further, Jesus gave too much of himself and he loves you too much to allow you to give 99% of you. Jesus will stop at nothing except 100% of you. All of you. Thanks, Drew. You're good. Good job, Drew. This is what Jesus is after. He's after all of you. Even tonight, I think there's an invitation and an opportunity for us to say, you know what? I I thought I was living a Jesus period gospel, but it kind of was Jesus plus this hobby or Jesus plus this relationship or Jesus plus this habit or this addiction but there's gonna be an invitation tonight for us to say, you know what, Holy Spirit, would you purify me? What purification looks like is taking that thing off the seat, off the throne of your heart and saying, Lord, I'm actually, I'm inviting you to be back here first, only. I wanna love you with my whole heart, all of my heart, all of my soul, all my mind, all my strength. I wanna give it back to you. There's gonna be an invitation for that tonight. This process looks like purification. This is what it means by the Holy Spirit purifying our lives. So I have a quick definition for purification. I'm gonna run through it real quick. Purification is a lifelong process of the Holy Spirit that produces fruit in and through you so that Christ may be glorified in every part of your life. I'd encourage you to write that down. It's a lifelong process, guys, meaning it doesn't happen in one encounter. We don't go to desperation, get purified, and we're like, good, (laughs) Like we don't go to like a retreat or like this intense spiritual experience and that's the purification moment and you're good from there. It's a lifelong process of day after day, getting up early, opening the scripture, sitting down and saying, okay, Lord, search me and know me. See if there's any wicked way in me and lead me in the everlasting way. It's a lifelong process of purification. Looks like saying, Lord, not my will, but your will be done day in 
and day out. It's a lifelong process. I'm on the journey. You're on the journey. Pastor Tim is on the journey. Your parents are hopefully on that journey. Your grandparents hopefully are still on that journey of the lifelong purification. The second important part, it's of the Holy Spirit. Brothers and sisters, be reminded that that you're being purified, but it's not you purifying you. It's the Holy Spirit at work inside of you. John 15 talks about it this way, how Jesus invites us to abide in him and that apart from him, we can do nothing. Apart from him, we can do nothing. So may you know that the purification that Jesus is inviting you into by the gospel is not you just trying to purify yourself. It's the Holy Spirit at work. And our job is to simply open our hands and say, Holy Spirit, have your way, have your way. And thirdly, we're talking about fruit. So it's a lifelong process of the Holy Spirit that produces fruit. What do I mean by fruit? What do I mean by that? It means that how you live, how you speak, how you act, all of it. It's, it's, it's another word for saying it's, it's fruit of your life. It's the results of your life. Now, I think we sometimes get this a little bit mixed up in, in the church. And when we think about purification, when I think about the, those who are pure in heart, man, when I think about who are the people in my life that, man, like you can just tell the Holy Spirit has just purified them and they have just open access to the Holy Spirit where the Spirit of God is, is purifying them and they're living that pure, singular, undivided life. You know what I think about? I think about people who love well. I think about people who have this joy that can't be rattled by circumstance. I think about these people that I can see all of what 2020 and 2021 was and just have this unshakable peace. I think about people who have maybe crazy family situations or people uh, that could really just have any opportunity to drive them crazy, but they remain patient. When I think about spirit-filled and spirit-empowered people, I think about people who are kind. I think about people who, man, you can't hear a word of sarcasm out of their mouth because they're just kind. I think about people who are gentle. When they've been wronged, when they've been hurt, they don't respond and lash out, but they're actually just people who are gentle and humble. When I think about spirit-filled people, I think of people who are faithful, meaning when they say they're gonna do something, they do it, and they do it well. The people who keep showing up day in and day out. Maybe they aren't flashy, but they're faithful. When I think about spirit-filled and spirit-empowered people, I think about people who have (laughs) self-control. They have control over what they say and what they do, regardless of the peer pressure around them. You may have caught on by now. I'm talking about Galatians 5. I'm talking about the fruits of the spirit. And I see that at work in so many of your lives. I see so many of you who love so well and who are joyful. And and I see so many of you who are just anchors and rocks. And when life has given you opportunity to be impatient or unkind, I've seen you choose the spirit-filled way. But none of us are perfect. (laughs) All of us struggle with this. And I think sometimes we get in danger of thinking, okay, to be like filled with the Holy Spirit, to be purified by the Holy Spirit means like I'm really good at giving like that prophetic word, right? Or a man like, oh, the spirit-filled person is the guy who like says something really profound and kind of gives you the goosebumps. And we put such like a pedestal of that, but the same people who will like lift their hands in worship and go all out are the people who don't love their neighbor very well. I think about the people who are so passionate, they'll show up the desperation, they'll show up in the front, they'll do all the dancing and jumping, but man, (laughs) they have no self-control over what they say and what they do. I don't know if any of us can identify with that. Before you start thinking of other people, maybe we should all look inward and say, wait, am I that person where I can sing the songs, 
I can even amen the messages. I can respond in the worship response moments, but do I love people well? Can I look around at my relationships and say, there's like health in my relationships wherever I look? Or is there a trail of a lot of division and hurt and backstabbing? This is what it means to have the fruit of the Holy Spirit inside of you. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And what's it all for? What's the point of purification? Is it performance? No, it's so that Christ may be glorified in all of your life and all that you say and all that you do. At the end of the day, brothers and sisters, this isn't about us being good people. This is about glorifying Christ in all that we do. Colossians 3.23, do everything as unto the Lord. You guys with me so far? (laughs) This is the last point. I wanna invite the worship team up right here. The Holy Spirit. So the implications of a Jesus period life is that the Holy Spirit purifies our life. And lastly, the Holy Spirit purifies our community. The Holy Spirit can purify a person, but he can also purify a people. You know how he does this? He does this by unifying people. A unified people, I'm sorry, a purified community is a unified community. You've probably heard heard me say it before, but Psalm 133 talks about that how good and pleasant it is when brothers and sisters dwell together in unity. For there the Lord commands and bestows his blessing there. God commands his blessing at a unified people. I want you all to take a look at the screen up here. We're gonna pull up a, uh, a prayer from Jesus for his church, for his people. It's John 17. This is Jesus' prayer. Out of all the things he could have prayed for, for the church, this is what he said. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you and me, oh, I'm sorry, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I and them and you and me, so they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Jesus here isn't describing a unity that's like a toleration of other people. What Jesus here is describing is deep unity. It's love, it's forgiveness. It's loving the people who behave and believe differently than you. I wonder what that would look like here in this youth group, here in this place. I know that for so many out there in our schools, maybe even in our families, the church simply represents a bunch of hypocritical people and judgmental people who don't leave room for people who aren't just like them. I know that's a thing. You know people like that. I know people like that. Who would say that about the church? Brothers and sisters, can I tell you that if we can't get unity right, then the game is over. Where else are we gonna find that kind of unity? We're not gonna find it in our schools. We're not gonna find it in our nation. We're not gonna find it in our world except for the church. It was such a big deal to Jesus that we were united as a people that he prayed for us and he continually prays and makes intercession for us. 
I love a quote that Pastor Andrew Warren said about unity, and it's simply this. This should be one of the last slides. A unified community is the most powerful witness to the world of the saving love of the triune God. A unified community. Can I just remind us that it's not gonna be our worship songs. It's not gonna be our social media platform. It's not gonna be our evangelism strategies. And it certainly won't be this pulpit and these preaching uh, times. It's not gonna be any of those things that convince the world of the saving love of Jesus Christ. You know what it's gonna be? A unified people. A unified people. People who love one another. People who don't backstab one another. It's the people who say, Holy Spirit, purify me so that we can be purified. Holy Spirit, purify me so that I can live out a Jesus, period, gospel. So right where you are, here's what we're gonna do. I want us to ask the Holy Spirit into this. I don't wanna just throw all this info at you and, and we sing a song and move on. I want us to grapple with it. I want us to wrestle with it. I have three questions that I want us just to dive into. You can write these down and, and journal about them if you want, or we can just ask in, in your own moment here with the Lord. Let's pull up those three questions. For some of us, we need to ask this question. Where do I believe and live a Jesus plus gospel? Where do I believe and live in a Jesus plus gospel? Meaning, where do I believe that Jesus' cross and the sacrifice of Jesus wasn't enough for my salvation? Where am I trying to perform? Where am I trying to earn it? Maybe the second question for us is this, are there areas in my life that are impure, divided? Think about the chair analogy, or is there something competing right now that the Holy Spirit needs to purify in you? Is there something competing for the throne of your heart? And thirdly, maybe we need to ask this, am I loving my neighbor well? Do I perpetuate unity or division in my relationships? Like I was saying, do, can I look around at my friendships here at this church, at my school, in my family, when I look at the fruit of my relationships, do I see like love? Do I see people who speak well of one another behind closed doors, who go out of their way to serve people and love people? So Holy Spirit, we need you. Like we prayed at the very beginning, we need you. We can't purify ourselves. We need you to open our eyes to where we are believing and living in a Jesus plus gospel. Holy Spirit, we need you to purify the areas in our lives that are divided where we have allowed competition and rival in our hearts, where we have not made you the supreme treasure of our hearts. Holy Spirit, we need you to show us how we've loved one another. Yeah, God, it's great if we say that we love you, but if we don't love each other, then really what does it matter? I just wanna leave some space real quick. Before we sing, let's leave space. Let's ask the Holy Spirit to speak. Just 60 seconds, even right here, just be still. Don't say anything, just ask. Holy Spirit, what are you saying?
this is a holy moment. I want us to remain just really still, but I want all of us, without saying anything, I want us all to stand up and come forward. I want us all to stand up and come forward and we're gonna pray a prayer of confession together. I think we would all be lying to ourselves if, if we were to say that not one of these three questions convicts us somewhere, <laughs> that we've been guilty in one of those three areas. <laughs> I know I'm guilty. <laughs> we are guilty. And just like we rally and are unified in our worship, I want us to be unified as we confess to the Lord. It might be something personal, but it also might be bleeding into the relationships here in this house to one another. What I want us, what I'm asking us and inviting us into is to corporately respond in confession to the Lord. To turn over our hearts, to turn over ourselves to the Lord and say, Lord, I I haven't done these things perfectly. I need forgiveness and I need you to restore whatever it was that the Spirit of God convicted you of in this moment knowing full well that he's faithful and just to forgive. So that being said, let's pray this prayer of confession together. It's gonna be up on the screen here. At least I think it is, okay. Let's say it together. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart and we have not loved our neighbor as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name, amen. Brothers and sisters, the good news is that regardless of whatever of those questions that convicted you, this is why we come together and sing about Jesus because the Father initiated your salvation. The the Son confirmed your salvation. The Spirit of God is going to sustain you. He's gonna purify you in your salvation. You are forgiven and you are restored. So in response to that, here's what I want us to do. I want us to sing this last song, Spirit of God together. And let's invite the Holy Spirit through this song to purify our hearts. Let's worship together. Thanks again for listening to this message from New Life Student Ministries. If you want to keep up with what's happening with us, follow us on Instagram and Facebook at NL Student Ministries.